open your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 5, looking this morning at two verses, verses 16 and 17. Another one of those passages of Scripture, whereas if you weren't going verse by verse through the book, you might just never hear it. Uh, it's not one that uh, preachers pick out, typically, to preach sermons on. Um, matter of fact, I've, I've had people, I've, and, and I've talked to them about a sin unto death, and they look at me like, what? You know, where's that? Well, here it is. It's in 1 John chapter 5, 16 and 17. It's a rare topic. I don't know that any, I've ever sat down at the table with anybody and said, hey, let's talk about the sin unto death. Uh, it's just not something that comes up, and yet God has it here for us. And I want us to look at it this morning with that understanding that this is God's inspired word. He wants us to be aware of what's sin, what are the sins unto death. First John five sixteen and 17, God's word says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray or ask for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is a sin that does not lead to death. Rare passage of scripture. Have we committed it? One of the first thoughts, have, have I committed the sin unto death? Think bigger. Has America committed a sin unto death? Can I commit the sin unto death? Have I committed the sin unto death? And of course, we can extend that to others that we know. Well, that could be very serious, couldn't it? That if there's a sin, it's going to kill us. We would want to know what that sin is and avoid it. God has it here for us. He has it in the context of being concerned about others who may or may not have committed this sin under death. Are we making sure we pray for others with the understanding they may have committed a sin under death? Well, what are the sins under death? Because once we know the sins under death, you don't need to ask about that one. Or maybe don't need to pray about that. The context is effective ministry. The context is effective praying. Remember last week, verses 14, 15, talked about confidence in prayer. He says, I want you to have confidence. If you will pray according to the will of God, your prayers will be answered. No doubt about it. So the context is praying, and the context is praying with confidence that prayers do get heard. And they do make a difference. And then immediately he slides in, but there's a prayer about a sin unto death, and that's not going to get answered. It's like, oh. So all prayers aren't going to be fruitful. And he's given us a category of a prayer that will not be fruitful. Because once somebody has committed a sin and a death, it's, it's done, it's over, they're going to die. And your prayer's not going to stop it, is the implication here. Um, 
God can want somebody dead. God can call it when He wants to call it. Time's up. Your time on earth's done. Sometimes we feel that way. Why can't God feel that way? Have you not sometimes wanted somebody just to die? And he said, this world would be better without that person in it. You remember Jonah, right? He was one of those. God says, I want you to go preach to Jonah. He says, I don't want those people even to be on this earth. I don't like them. They're despicable. They're dirty. Ninevites, I don't want to preach. If I preach, they will repent. They'll get saved. Don't want any of that. I don't even want to pray for them. Jonah gets on a boat and tries to run from God. And God said, no. He said, Jonah, do you not even care about kids? He says, you not realize in Nineveh, I've got over 120,000 kids that don't know their right hand from their left. Can you not care about them? He says, surely they have not committed the sin unto death. They do not need to die. I want you to go. I want you to preach. And I want you to see salvation come out of Nineveh. There's times when we want people dead. And God says, that's not what I'm talking about. There are sins unto death. But we've got to let God be in charge of that and not us. And as we pray, we need to be aware that sin leads to death. And we need to be aware that sometimes our prayers, because people have committed a sin unto death, will not be answered. Now, how to work through all that is difficult. The bottom line is God wants us to continue effective praying. He wants us to be engaged in this ministry of prayer. He wants us to be aware of it. Uh, God's will is redemption. God's will is life, not death. A ministry of life. That's the point of verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, I want his life, and I want you to pray. I want you to be involved in that ministry. Um, Our tendency is to care for ourselves. God's focus here is, now I want you to care for others. Even if they're sinning. Even if maybe you want them dead. They are people that I want you to pray for. I want you to care about them. Well, what if they've committed a sin and a death? That's what God's dealing with. The, 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 the phrase here, committing a sin, um, it just means literally sinning. So what if you see somebody sinning? Do you pray for them? Or do you only pray for people who aren't sinning? He's making it clear, now I want you to be praying. If somebody is sinning, they need your ministry. They need your faith. Well, I don't, like, I don't like talking to people sinning. I don't like helping people who are always bad, 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 bad. God says, no. Those are the people who are caught in the sin that I want you to minister to. Look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Here's awesome passage. talks about our care for those sinning and those caught in sin. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's pretty unlimited. Anyone caught in any sin. If that's the case, air conditioning blew my pages. Here we go. 
Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God wants us to be involved in the lives of messy sinners. See, if you see someone, anyone, caught in any sin, if, if you're not caught in a sin right now, you're in this category of the spiritual one. You're in the category of the lover. And you should reach out and love. You should reach out and restore. You don't want them wallowing in sin. You want to get them out of that sin. How can I help get you out from the bondage of sin? How can I release you into spiritual freedom? Let me be God's tool to restore you, to love you, to care for you. Let me at least pray for you. And that's where 1 John 5 is coming in. He says, I want you to start praying and ministering to other people. And I want your prayers to be effective and fruitful. I want you to start praying according to the law of God. Because if you'll pray according to the law of God, you'll start seeing answers. Because you'll be having the heart and concern of God in front of people. When you're praying according to His will. So I want you to see your prayers heard. I want you to see prayers answered. I want you to see people helped by you. You're going to see sinners get involved and encourage them. And that's what First John is asking us to do. This ministry of encouraging other brothers in the faith. So, if you see someone gossiping or slandering, what do you do? You pray. They're caught in sin. You see it. Caught you. There it is. We pray. You see someone who is gluttonous or addicted to drink. What do you do? Caught you. You pray. You love them. You care for them. You see someone caught in sexual immorality. What do you do? You pray. And you love them. And you restore them. See, this is not a time where you condemn people. You see someone sinning. You don't talk about people. And you don't condemn people. You love people. And you pray for people. That's where God wants us involved. Well, that's just terrible. That's a terrible sin. Maybe it's a sin unto death. I want you to pray. And I want you to love them. And I want you to restore them. If you are the one who's spiritual, you should be the one most in ministry. And ministering to others, seeking to build them up in Christ. Uh, that's our need. Be in prayer. Be in ministry. Aware that we are called for this. Um, God wants us to. Now, what do we do with this whole idea of sin unto death? God, first of all, God's serious about sin. God is serious about sin. He's not trifling with sin. When we think, hey, uh, this sin really doesn't matter, a little, little sin. Might be a sin that kills us. You know the verse, uh, Romans 6, 23. Gift of God's eternal life, but the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Sin can kill you. Okay? 
You don't have to wait for the, the car accident. Sin kills us. The wages of sin is death. We really should be, is there any sin from which we can live? Of course, the only answer is through Christ. All sin leads to death. Now, this passage in 1 John 5 makes it clear there's, there's particular sins that lead to death perhaps more than others. And I want us to think about those um, because he's talking about a sin from which you will not get restored. A sin, once it's committed, your time on earth is really limited. Your, the death is coming. It's a sin that leads you to death. Various interpretations of that. Um, just, I don't know if I put them up there or not, but one of the interpretations is this sin unto death must be the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at it. Let me just go through the three different kind of interpretations that thrown out so that you know uh, and don't get caught up in, you know, wrong stuff. Look at the uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in Mark 3. Verse 20, Mark 3, and I'll go ahead and give you the conclusion. I don't think blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is what 1 John is talking about. But here's a sin that does lead to death, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 3, begin at verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. So they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons. He cast out demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemes Blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never, there's optative word there, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So is that sin, when since God says this is a sin you don't recover from, never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. Is that the sin 1 John is talking about in 1 John 5? I don't think so. Several reasons. First of all, who are the ones Jesus is accusing of being real close to committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's the scribes and the Pharisees that come to him. Scribes and Pharisees are not the same, it's not the same context as 1 John 5. Who is he talking to in 1 John 5? You need to flip back there, verse 17, 16. If anyone sees who? His brother. So 1 John 5 is talking about brothers, the brethren, the church, 
Mark chapter 3 is dealing with scribes and Pharisees, not same group of people. Scribes and the Pharisees were enemies of Christ. Brothers are lovers of Christ. Not same context. Don't think we're dealing with the same sin. Also, in Mark chapter 3, sin is described as eternal sin. It's an eternal sin. You, there's no forgiveness. He's not talking about death. He's talking about damnation. I think the more you look at 1 John 5, we're talking about death and not damnation. So I don't think these are the same. Don't want you to go there. Not saying in 1 John 5, if you sin, maybe you've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, I find when people say, I'm afraid I, I, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and so I'm going to hell. No, 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 no. You're a brother. You have received Christ, right? So, second kind of distinction um, some people will make, or even apostasy. Maybe I'll just go ahead and jump to number three. The apostasy of a Christian. Can a true believer, one who is born again, be unborn? It's like, no. Once saved, always saved. So, when we're talking to brothers, brothers, you have not committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The one who does that commits this eternal sin. The one who is damned is not true believers. God doesn't send His own to hell. God doesn't give new birth to us and then lose us. We don't apostatize as true believers, as false believers, as hip, uh, hypocritical, not genuine believers, yes. But genuine believers, no. So it's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's not the sin of apostasy by a Christian. And the other distinction, really the Catholic Church brought this up and I just can't find any... Um, scripture for why they want to talk about well maybe he's talking about capital offenses and non-capital offenses and they use the term mortal sins and venial sins and it's like what? and you're trying to define their terms and you look in the scripture and you can't find them there but by capital they would mean you. it was premeditative that you determined to do something awful to somebody as opposed to just doing something impulsively or spontaneous and if if it was the premeditative type then maybe that's the sin unto death well there's just no there's no description of that kind of sin being a sin unto death in the bible so i don't think we have to make up definitions when god gives us enough in the text to begin to understand what it is first of all let me just lead us this way i think the blasphemy passage helps are we dealing with the death of the soul or the death of the body? Or both? See, if we're just dealing with death of the body, which is consistent with a believer, our bodies will die. It's appointed to everyone first to die. Then after that, the judgment. Our souls are still alive and have to face God. But our bodies do die. Is there such a thing in the Scriptures where... Our bodies die prematurely? And the answer is yes. So we've got plenty of scripture for that. I'll give you the one where millions died prematurely. You know the story of the Hebrews that were brought out of Egypt as God's redeemed nation. 
And he takes them through the wilderness, taking them to the promised land. And along that journey, what do they do? They grumble and they complain. He forgives them. What do they do? Then they grumble and complain again. There's no water. Grumble, complain. There's no meat. They grumble, complain. We've got no good leaders. You know, they grumble, complain. And you go through that scenario over and over. And God's merciful over and over. And at some point, He comes to that people and said, Enough. We're done. You're not going to the promised land. You're going to die right here. Premature death. So for the next 40 years, they, w- they wander and they die. And you just try to think through how to bury 4 million people day by day uh, for the next 40 years, how you're seeing death over and over and over. And the reason is a sin we call grumbling and complaining. Do you ever grumble and complain? See, it puts it on a whole different level for me. Philippians chapter 2 says, We are not of those who grumble and complain. My kids have heard me say that many times. When they come grumbling and complaining, No, 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 no. That's not who we are. We don't do that. Grumbling and complaining is sin. You're speaking to the one who's redeemed you and loved you and cared for you and say, Don't think I need that. I got this. What I need is a little more food. I need a little more water. I need a little more benefit. God says, we're done. We're not going down that road. And he told not only these millions of people, who else couldn't go to the promised land? Moses didn't go. Miriam didn't go. Aaron didn't go. We know Moses is a believer. He shows up in the transfiguration. Real believers... And look at 1 Corinthians 10, says most of them, God says, he was not satisfied with. Some of them did go to heaven, but they committed a sin unto death. Their life could have been much more fruitful, and yet it was cut off. They died because of grumbling and complaining. So there's a category of sins. What's this telling me is, as I already said, don't trifle with sin. Don't just try to put in a category. Sin unto death is like the Catholics, premeditative murder. No, 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 no. You're trying to put it somewhere you can't reach. You can reach the sins unto death because all of us can grumble and complain and have. And then we begin to see the wages of sin is death. This is serious, serious, serious business. Sinning. And John's been preaching. I want you to get to see that you don't practice sin. You quit playing with sin. When you see someone else sin, restore them. Start praying. Get involved. Because that's not some place we want to be, not some place we want to go. What's another sin unto death that you find in the Scripture? Right here when we take the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You remember, since we take it thankfully every week, you have this warning from time to time. Um, 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Sin unto death. So if I take the Lord's Supper wrongly, I could commit something that leads to my death. And that's another reason why we don't encourage children to take. And we tell parents, be careful not to have your children who are not thinking, they're not discerning, they're not evaluating the body and blood of Christ. Don't have them take. Because the scripture requires examination so that we don't take it wrongly, so that we don't commit sin unto death. Some take, and many, and says some have died from just taking the Lord's Supper. Don't trifle with the body and blood of Christ, the redemption of Christ. You saw that in Egypt and journey to the promised land, messing with God's redemption, messed with Christ's. Redemption, his body and blood, is a serious offense to God. And we can commit it. So there's another sin unto death. Another one's mentioned in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, just personal. You might be the only one who knows about it. Same with the Lord's Supper. That's a sin of the heart. You're examining yourself, making sure you're not trifling with sin. James chapter 5 is this section of prayer for the sick. It says, verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, the implication is you fear that your illness, weakness, whatever it is, is going to kill you. And because you fear that, and you fear that it's connected to your sinfulness... You call the elders and they say, I want to confess my sin. And I want to be saved from it. I want to be healed from it. I don't want to die. And God's promise here is that, okay, the elders come in. They see you're serious. You've confessed your sin. They pray for you. They anoint you with oil. And you're raised up. You don't die. So what could easily be a sin unto death is moved off the table and now you go free to live longer. And by the way, we, we want to not murder ourselves. We want to live as long as we can. Why? Right now counts forever. It's the best time of your life in the sense that only now can you lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. At death, that's, you, you don't get an opportunity anymore. This is your time. This is my time. We want to use the days God has given us for effective, fruitful ministry. So we want to avoid sin. 
we want to avoid clearly sin unto death. So now I've showed you in Scripture three examples of real sins unto death. And if you're like me, I'm asking, could you just go ahead and give me the whole list and I'll put it on my refrigerator, you know, and go through it each day and see if I can avoid it. And God doesn't give me the list. I've asked for it. I've searched for it. Because then I think, I, don't, I think the reason he doesn't is because then my life becomes a list of rules. Instead of giving to God every day my heart. This sin could be something as easy as grumbling, murmuring under my breath to God. It could be something as serious as taking out a life-threatening, you know, action against somebody. And it could be anything in between. And God doesn't let me know what the list is. Because all sin is worthy of death. All. He's telling me in a strong way, don't play with sin. And you've heard me say that at the Lord's Supper. I said, you know, the worthy participant of the Lord's Supper is somebody who realizes he's unworthy. That at some point in life, some point this week, I played with sin and that's just wrong. And we come before God and say, forgive me, Christ. This, that what I did was something for which Christ had to spill his blood for. How wrong was that? That I committed that sin. And so you repent and God says, then come, welcome to the table. Let me forgive you of all your sins. And you walk in newness of life. That's what God wants for us. So God doesn't give me the list. I don't give you the list. You have to evaluate your own heart. What sin is God reminding you of right now that you haven't really dealt with? And are you letting it go and go and go like those in the wilderness? To where at some point our Father in heaven says, you know, I'm pretty fed up with that. And it's been pointed out to you, which brings us back to our ministry. We're the ones that are supposed to, we see other people sin and they don't see it. They blinded themselves to it. We see it and God says, I want you to pray for them. I want you to minister to them. I want you to restore them with gentleness and love. Don't come at them in a condemning Way. The thrust is the passage is urging us to pray. Then it comes to this place, make request. Now, a little confusing back in 1 John chapter 5, uh, the last part of verse 16. It's a long verse, but thankfully they connected it so that we could see this. It says, if, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask. Remember the word ask. And God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. The word pray there is a different word, but it can easily and is often translated as ask or inquire. So I think it's just a synonym of the first word, which is just good writing. When you put it in the category of ask or inquire, you see, you don't necessarily think about praying, but it is prayer. But what you're, a lot of times when we pray, we're 
We're pleading for someone. Asking means I'm asking a question. I'm inquiring. Is it a sin unto death or not? And I think all he's saying is you don't need to be asking that question. You just need to be praying. You just need to be praying. You see someone, you say, well, that sin, that, that's going to kill them. They, they better get out of that sin. That's going to kill them. That's a sin unto death. And it, God says, just pray. Just pray. Just pray. But it's a sin unto death. Don't ask. Just pray. Don't let something like this doctrine keep you from effective, fruitful ministry. Pray. That's, that's the main point. I might not can tell you whether it's a sin unto death or not. You might not can tell yourself that or somebody else that. But you can pray. God said, don't, don't get caught up in the secret things of God. You don't know whether this person is going to live today or die tomorrow. So pray. That's the impulse that God wants us to have here. Let God determine the answers. And let us be involved in the ministry of praying in building up the body of Christ. So let me just get to the ministry action points. What is, next, next slide, our ministry action. Number one, reconciliation. We read the passage in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Our role, reconciliation between the sinner and God. God says in 1 Corinthians, I didn't put it up here, but 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I have given you the ministry of reconciliation. Because you've Given the ministry of reconciliation. Beg other people to come to Christ. To forsake their sin. Same thing in Galatians 6. With tenderness of heart. With gentleness. With love. Saying, brother, I see you are caught in a sin. Scripture makes it clear to me. God doesn't want us playing with sin. Especially not the same sin. Come on. Over and over and over. That will kill you. And when we realize it, sin with that seriousness, we will deal with it quicker in our own lives and we'll deal with it quicker in others and we'll deal with it with love and gentleness. So reconciliation. God wants us to care for other people. Number two, repent ourselves. Lead others to repentance. First John chapter 1, verse 9, you Hopefully have memorized that verse so that you just know it like that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent. Turn from sin. You can do that right now. You can do it before you even invited to take the Lord's Supper. Say, Lord, I came into this room this morning in sin. I can do that right now in my heart, quietly. God, I confess sin. And you've promised me, according to 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness so that I can come clean and new to the Lord, fellowship with Him, and take from His table. God wants us to turn from sin. Uh, let's do that. Let's remember the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants us to have eternal life, not eternal death. Third, request. Request grace. Requ request grace. Let every sight of sin saying, Lord, help us. Help us. 
first sermon I ever preached, a little church in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. And my sermon was terrible. I've never repeated it. It was the worst sermon I've ever preached. But there was a Baptist preacher on the front row, about 87 years old, came in with a little cane, about 90 pounds. He still makes me cry thinking about it. He would sit there, and when the preacher, it didn't matter who it was, if he said, and we're caught in sin, he would throw his head back and say, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And I, I still remember if, if that 87-year-old preacher needed help, then I need help too. Lord, help us. We need grace. We need grace. Lest we die. Lord, help us. When you see sin, plead for grace. That's our only hope, is that God will be merciful to sinners. And we're pleading. It's not, Lord, I hope they can finally get their life back on track. I hope they can finally get straight. No, no, no. Lord, I hope you invade their life with grace. Because they're as messed up as I am. And I know they can't get out by themselves. They must be totally dependent upon you. So pray for that. And then number four, rest in Christ, rest in Christ, rest in Christ. Um, that's our need. Our need is not to rest in the internet. How do you rest today? Our need is not to Google it. Our need is not to rest in Twitter or print, uh, whatever. Our tendency is to pick up our phone like it's our Bible and, oh, I need help. Our need is to rest in Christ. Only Christ has the words of eternal life. Only Christ has taken the wrath of God upon himself that we deserve. Only Christ. Don't rest in anything else. Rest in Christ. Make this the day every week, Lord. I, I want to turn my thoughts to you and rest my heart, my thoughts in you that you're my only hope. You're my only salvation. You're my only redeemer. You're the only one who's Blood can cover my sin so that I am presented without spot or blemish before the Father. Rest in Christ. Conclusion now that you've seen 1 John 5, 16 and 17. Not certain whether you've committed a sin unto death or not. The conclusion, pray. Get others to pray. One of the most beautiful prayers in life is Jesus' prayer for Peter. You remember that? Just before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells Jesus, Jesus, you're not doing it right. Jesus says, Say, says Peter, you're acting like Satan. Get behind me. And then Peter comes out 
in this, these quiet moments with Jesus, somebody's going to de- deny you, Jesus, but it's not going to be me. I, I don't go there. I'm your man. We'll never deny you. And then the night of this trial to crucify Christ, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. He goes off and weeps. Jesus foretold all of that ahead of time. He said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So before morning, it's going to happen. Oh, no, not going to happen, not going to happen. What does Jesus say, though? The story's not over. Jesus says, Peter, it's going to happen. When it happens, I want you to go and I want you to restore your brethren. I want you to get involved in ministry. And Peter's like, how is all this going to happen? Jesus says, because I have already prayed for you. I pray for you, Peter. The reason I make it today is because Jesus prays for me. Jesus did not go to heaven to sit around and twiddle his thumbs. He is our intercessor. He is our mediator. He's the only mediator between man and the Father. And he's praying for his church. See the importance of prayer. He says, I want you to pray. And I want to take your prayers. And I want to take them to the Father. That you will be restored and not die. If anyone should have died, Peter should have died. But Christ prayed for him. And that prayer was fruitful and effective. And he's telling us in 1 John 5, our prayer is fruitful and effective when we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember the context? Fruitful, effective praying according to the will of God and for the restoration of those caught in sin that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Bottom line, I think, is just God delights in giving grace to sinners. Let's pray. Father, because you delight in giving grace to sinners, we beg you, take delight in us. We're in that category. We're sinners. And we're sinners in need of much grace. We don't just need a new program, a new plan, a new step. We need your grace. We need your work. We need you to invade our lives. We need you to intercede for us. We need you to pray for us. We need brothers and sisters putting their arms on us and around us praying for us because we're caught in a sin. We're caught in sins that can lead to death. And yet Satan has convinced us many times it's not that bad, not that serious. Lord, let us forsake the lies of the devil and let us run back to see the wages of sin of death. But you've given us a gift of faith in Christ that can conquer the world. You have overcome the world through your blood. Father, for those in this room that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, may they see what a serious mistake that would be to go another day and not have redemption. Sin is powerful enough to kill the body, 
it's powerful enough to damn the soul. Lord, let our only hope be Christ and Him alone to save both body and soul by grace. We trust you. We love you. We thank you for revealing truth to us that we might live and live abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.